You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Impact Partners. Discover how you can join us in a spirit-led movement to bring about human flourishing grounded in love, generosity, and belonging by visiting ignitingimagination.org. Hello, friends, and welcome to Igniting Imagination. I'm your host, Lisa Greenwood. In this season, we're exploring the theme of sanctifying friendship. So a little background. Sanctifying friendship emerged as one of three areas of focus for our leadership ministry at Wesleyan Impact Partners. After an 18-month journey with a group of faithful leaders from across the country and across the Wesleyan ecosystem, Together, through a lot of conversation and reading and listening, we discerned the spiritual needs of people today and the gifts of the Wesleyan tradition. And then we looked at the intersection of the gifts of Wesleyanism and the spiritual needs of people today. Three key areas of focus emerged for the Wesleyan movement today. And one of those key areas is sanctifying friendship. Now, let me pause here to say, if this has sparked your interest and you want to learn more, you can find our new Wesleyan Ecosystem report on our website, ignitingimagination.org. In short, what we observed is that friendship kept surfacing as both a desperate, pressing need today and a holy calling for the church that when we experience true friendship, we experience the divine at work in us, that God forms us through friendships. We heard things like, people are more connected than ever, but don't feel seen. They may have 2,000 online friends, but no one to talk to. Or, we want to be able to show up as our true selves. And, to be with people who are willing to get close to the pain. We also heard this phrase that stuck with us, the new chaplaincy is friendship. This notion of sanctifying friendship has captured us. To see friendship not just as a means to an end, which is often how we treat it in the church, but as an end unto itself. To see and treat friendship as holy, as a means of grace, and a place where the Holy Spirit is at work. So in this season of Igniting Imagination, we hope to develop and deepen what we mean by sanctifying friendship through the conversations that we have. We'll explore questions like, what does it mean to understand friendship as sanctified or holy? What are the characteristics of a holy friendship? How do you develop these friendships? Why do leaders need holy friendships? What's the role of the church in creating space that uplifts, inspires, teaches social connection for its own sake? And how can the Wesleyan movement recognize friendship as foundational to our mission? I hope you'll join us for this journey into sanctifying friendship this season. We begin today with our guest who literally wrote the book on our topic. Victoria White's book is called Holy Friendships. Victoria White is a writer, pastor, designer, coach, facilitator, and teacher. She combines her gifts most effectively through her work at Leadership Education at Duke Divinity, where she cultivates and supports innovative Christian institutions and their leaders. 
Victoria believes in the power of networks as a way for leaders to identify often overlooked hubs of creativity, affinity, and shared passions, which, when strategically cross-pollinated, can provide deep wells of resources to help communities thrive and bear witness to God's reign. This conversation with Victoria is rich with insight and inspiration, and I am so excited for you to hear it. One more word before we go into the conversation with Victoria. Each episode this season, I'll share a poem related to friendship and the themes that emerge in the forthcoming conversation. So here is one by Morgan Harper Nichols in her book, You Are Only Just Beginning called Notes on Being a Good Friend. Listen well. Give time. Involve the heart when you are asked for advice. Laugh with those who laugh. Weep with those who weep. Show gratitude for every little moment you have to make someone else feel seen. Thanks for joining us today. Here's my conversation with Victoria White. Hi, Victoria. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. I have so been looking forward to this as we launch this new season. It's going to be great to have a conversation with you. I feel like you're the expert and I'm really excited to jump in and talk about holy friendships. And you've been thinking about and working on this topic for years now, um, I don't know, five, 10 years now. And so I'm really curious what drew you to, uh, to this topic. Sure. I was in a degree program uh, that was a cohort model where we met several times a year and then did online work. And it was a group of folks who were all about the same age and about the same placement in life, interdenominational and interdisciplinary. And one of our professors, Greg Jones, uh, who's a mentor and friend of mine, mentioned this idea of holy friendship. And it was as if a light bulb went off in the room mm-hmm. and everyone looked around and recognized immediately, oh, that's what we are. It was something more than a casual friendship. There was something deeper to it. There was a sense of um, accountability to it. There was a way that we encourage each other. There was there was a telos to it. There was um, something mm. that we knew that was important that was happening within our friendships. And so once we grasped onto that idea, we continued to talk about it. And I began to teach it in my work and especially in my work with emerging leaders they just seem to soak up the idea of holy friendship, that that is something that they needed, that they wanted, that they desired. And so they started asking more questions. What does it look like? Am I in one? How do I cultivate the conditions Mm. for these to happen in my own community? And so, um, you know, once something gets placed on your heart like that, you got to follow it. And so I started doing some research and some writing and here we are. Nice. I love it. What has surprised you that has emerged in the midst of your exploration? The diversity of of holy friendships that are out there. Every single Uh, one takes on a different form. And every time I I think that I'm going in to talk to a pair of of friends, because that's really one of the great privileges of my work is that, that people will say, hey, let me tell you about this friendship that I have. 
Um, and sometimes I get to talk to both of them. And when I do, they'll explain some of the, the things they've been through together and, and the ways that they've really been there for each other. And it, it never ceases to amaze me how generous God's love is between two people and how it can affect their personal lives, their professional lives, um, their vocation, every, every aspect in between. Yeah, I, I, we're going to talk some more about the impact of friendships. Um, it, it has been a theme. We use a little bit different language, so we've been very um, intrigued by your language around holy friendships. I, we've shared with you that in the work that we've been doing with Wesley and Impact Partners that we've identified this theme of uh, sanctifying friendship mm-hmm. um, as a key area of focus for the church. And, and what we observed is that um, friendship has largely been treated in the church as either a kind of happy byproduct of being involved in church. In other words, you come for the serious stuff and you make friends along the way, mm-hmm. or as kind of a means to an end, like an entry point. In other words, you come with your friends to church and then you get to the real formation process. And what we found in the midst of our research and conversations is the the power that friendship has to form us as disciples, that friendship is actually an end in itself, not just a means, that, that, they, that these friendships form us. And so I'm, I'm super curious if that rings true with what you've seen and your research, and, and then I have a follow-up question to that. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, yeah. We have a saying where I work, that the way you do the work is the work you're called to do. Mm, yeah. And so doing the work that you're called to do with your friends not only makes it more enjoyable and more fun and more creative and more innovative, it also affects you. It mm, it helps yeah. you grow and form as a person. Um, the definition of holy friendships that I created is mutual and sacred relationships deeply formed in God's love. And that last part is exactly what you're talking about, that it is a part of Mm -hmm. our formation. If If you think about Jesus and the disciples, they were forming each other. They were growing into the people that God was creating them to be by being in community with one another. And I think you're absolutely right. Our society has commodified friendship and Mm. and developed it into or allowed it to develop into something that is um, that can be consumed, that we utilize our friends. I mean, even in social media, if you think about it, we can unfriend someone. Right. What is what does that even mean? How do you unfriend someone or how do you block someone? You can block Uh people. Um, or hide them. That's that's not the way that I believe we were designed to mm-hmm. be in community with one another. And so I think that the church offers a real opportunity for us to cultivate the conditions for more authentic, more mutual, more holy relationships that help form us into the people God is creating us to be. Yeah, may it be so. May it be so. I. I uh, I would love to go back to your definition a little bit and have you, I, I know all those words are intentional <laughs> for you. Will you kind of unpack those a little bit for us? Sure. Holy friendships are mutual and sacred relationships deeply formed in God's love. 
So first of all, holy friendships are mutual. That means the two people that are in it know that they are in a relationship that is something special and something unique. They talk about it. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who we FaceTime several times a week and we don't get off of FaceTime without saying, I love you and I couldn't do this without you. It actually makes my kids crazy because why do you always have to say that? Why do you say that every (laughs) single time you're getting off the phone with them? Well, number one, because it's true. And two, because we don't say that enough. We don't tell people that we love them enough. If it's fear of rejection or, you know, fear of intimacy, I don't, I don't know what all of the reasons are, but we don't tell people that we love them enough. And we need to hear that. Yes. Yeah. That we need them. That I don't want to do this work without you. And when I say that, I mean, I don't want to do the work of my job. I don't want to do the work of my marriage. I don't want to do the work of being a parent or being a sister. All of the things I need my friends to support me in that. I'm a better person because of my friends. So holy friendships are mutual. The two people in it know that they are in a relationship that is core to contributing to who they are as a beloved child Mm -hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Sacred means set apart. It is like the holy of holies in the temple. It is something that is belonging to God. So when we talk about a holy friendship being sacred, to me, that means that there is a, a telos to them. There is an end to them. We know that our friendship matters because the way that you are living in the world affects the way that we are bearing witness to God's reign. Yeah. So. I am invested in you, I am encouraging you, I am challenging you because I know that the work that you are doing is important to the church and to beloved community in this world. So holy friendships are mutual and sacred relationships deeply formed in God's love. And we've we've touched on that formation part. I believe that part of the way that God is shaping us to be the people that we are to be is through the friends that God puts around us. I know that I wouldn't be the person I am today without my friends. I also know that I am a person who really enjoys being around other people. So I also want to say that there are some people who are one people persons. They need to have one person in their life, and that's the person that is their ride or die. And they tell them everything and they do the things with them and that meets their social and emotional needs. And that is great. When I talk about holy friendships, I don't believe that you need to have two, five, 10, 20. I just need you to have at least one because I believe that we are called to do this work in community. And so holy friendships, mutual and sacred relationships deeply formed in God's love. Basically, these are the people that God puts in our lives that we're called to walk alongside, to love, encourage, challenge, because they help us be the people that God is designing us to be, and they help us bear witness to God's reign on earth. That's beautiful, and it it feels like such a critical time to be talking about these mutual sacred friendships that are forming us and giving us strength and courage and, and all those. I have heard you quote and, and you know, many of us have read the Surgeon General's work around, you know, what he calls the loneliness epidemic. And, mm-hmm. and he reminds us that 
you know, that loneliness is not just a bad feeling. It, it actually does harm. It does harm to individuals. It does harm to societal health. It, it does. It's been associated with cardiovascular disease and depression and anxiety, diseases of despair, as we may call them. And, um, and then I've heard you quote this, and, um, and it has stuck with me, this, that, that the mortality impact of being socially disconnected or lonely is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. I know the Surgeon General has has talked about that. And and that feels like we have discounted loneliness. Mm-hmm. And yet it is it is critical to our health and well-being as individuals and as a society. And and what more can the church do, right, than to speak into mm-hmm. one of the greatest pains pain points of our society right now. And so I would love to hear you talk about how you have seen loneliness as you have worked with leaders and specifically clergy and spiritual entrepreneurs. How how has loneliness shown up? Well, we tend to call it something more positive. We call it Lone Ranger Syndrome. And we tend to put these Mm. people up on a pedestal and say, oh, look at what they accomplished all by themselves, as if success is sweeter when it's accomplished alone. When we know, especially in the church, no one gets anywhere by themselves. There's always a cadre of people behind them. And so we need to acknowledge that. We need to hold folks accountable to who it is that they're spending time with. I was, I was working with a young leader one time and, and we had talked about holy friendship and we got to the end of the conversation and she said, this is all really great and, and it sounds important and it's something that I want to do. I'm just really afraid that if I have something on my calendar that says, you know, I'm having coffee with a friend, that it's going to affect my employment because, you know, the budget is tight and they may be making cutbacks soon. And if someone sees that I'm out making a social appointment during lunch, then what if they're going to think that I'm not giving my 100% to my church? And my heart just broke for that young leader because I know that if they go out and have coffee or lunch or go for a walk, whatever it is, with their friend, that they will come back 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour later, more energetic, more creative, more innovative, with better ideas. They'll write a better newsletter article. They'll write a better sermon. They'll make better visitation. Vacation Bible school will be more creative. Whatever it is that that person needs to do the rest of the day will be better because they spent time with a friend, which to me means that whatever it is that takes us to a higher level of not just performance in our jobs, but a higher level of humanity, of being a better version of ourselves. That's the work that we're called to do. That's just as important as the research you do on your sermon. That's just as important as attending your denominational meetings. That's just as important as making those visits. Whatever it is that takes us to be the very best person that we can be in the job that God has called us to do, that is the work that we are being paid to do. I think that we have gotten, especially post-COVID, we have focused so much on production and what it is that we are producing from our hours. We don't produce in a friendship. We simply are. We are people. We are Mm -hmm. humans. We human together 
in a friendship. Mm -hmm. We need to get back to more of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this feels really important. And I'd love to spend a minute thinking aloud with you, having you think aloud with us, really, about how in that scenario and others like it, how do we help cultivate an environment that is countercultural in this notion, right? Help create an environment at the church or the workplace that really embraces the value of friendships? It's a great question. Learn some things along the way. So I remember being taught in seminary, they used the example of domestic violence. Um, And they said that if a pastor has books about domestic violence um, on the pastor's bookshelf, or maybe sitting on a coffee table, or if there is a a business card that has a number to a a shelter um, sitting somewhere in the office, the person who needs to know that that office is a safe place is going to see those books or see that card Mm -hmm. in that office. I think that we Mm -hmm. underestimate the power of having a picture with our friends in our office connotes. Mm -hmm. I think that we underestimate what would happen if a pastor came into staff meeting on Monday or Tuesday morning, whenever they happen and say, you know what, on Friday and Saturday, I went hiking with a friend in the mountains and Mm -hmm. we had some great conversation about X, Y, and Z. Okay, number one, that connotes to the staff that the pastor does things for fun and for nurturing that person's (laughs) own ability, that they're a real human. Kind of like when you see your pastor at the grocery store for the first time, you realize that they eat real food. They have real friends too. It also connotes that that's a priority to that pastor and encourages that activity among the staff. I think talking about our friendships in our sermons and in newsletter articles, talking about the value of that and normalizing it. Mm. There's a great meme that's out there on social media that says, tell your friends you love them, tell them often, make it weird. Well, the reason that that's funny is because (laughs) it is weird to tell someone that we love them, like we've already talked about. The thing is, is that it's not normal for us to talk about our friends. And I don't understand that. They're some of the best Mm. people in my life. They make me happy. They make me better. They make me mad. They annoy me sometimes. And they always help me to be a better person. They always help me to be a better Christian, a better leader, a better parent. We need to normalize talking about those relationships. Mm. And so I would say that it's important for pastors and Christian leaders to talk about those relationships because the power of what they give credence to is so very important. People are listening, people are paying attention, especially younger leaders who are trying to figure out what they are supposed to invest their time in. They will hear that and they will follow by example. I also think for lay leaders who are listening out there, ask your pastor, ask your your Christian leader, when's the last time that you spent time with a friend? And I don't even mean on vacation or just at lunch. When's the last time you FaceTimed with a friend? Advocate for that kind of behavior, encourage Mm. that, show them that you know that that's important to their flourishing. Yeah, nice. Normalize it, talk about it, model it, Um, I I love this last thing that you said where, um, you know, we talk about in leadership 
circles about the what questions you ask will then and what accountability you, you know you're mm-hmm. asking for will will help people's focus be on those things right so what we focus on others will focus on and so if we're asking where are you how are you spending time with your friends and when was the last time you you know fill in the blank um, that that actually begins to shape expectations and behaviors and and such so I, I want to pick up on another thread that you've mentioned, and that is you're connecting leadership with friendship. We have tended to put the Lone Ranger on a pedestal as if that's the model for leadership. And you're saying, ah, no, we're actually more creative, more courageous um, when we nurture our friendships. And so will you say a word about that? Leadership is hard. It's just, mm-hmm. it's really hard work. We're, we're leading these humans who are prone to sin and wander and make assumptions and mistakes and all these things that we're supposed to do as, as humans. And if we do that alone, the only voice we hear is our own. And so we aren't getting any new ideas. No mm-hmm. one else is challenging us especially in pastoral leadership, folks take what we say seriously. And and to me, that's a blessing and a challenge. To me, that means that I don't wanna make any big decisions without having conversation in community. I wanna talk to my colleagues and make sure, especially from a diversity perspective, that I am taking into account who is and who is not at the table making decisions who has been included in the process, who is intentionally left out, what are the things that we are ignoring, what happens if this fails, what happens if this is wildly successful. I need my friends to hold me accountable to the hard questions that I wouldn't necessarily want to face on my own. And my holy friends are going to do that for me because they know that my work matters. They know that what I am doing contributes to the way that I am bearing witness to God's work in this world. And I think that when it comes to leadership, it can be so easy for us to just do the work on our own. We know how to do it. We can do it backwards, forwards with our eyes closed and our hands tied behind our back. And yet that is not the way that we are called to do this work. We are called to do this work in community. And so bringing those trusted holy friends alongside us so that we are able to see things from different perspectives is so important. And it's the Christ-like way to do things. Mm -hmm. Jesus wasn't going throughout his ministry making decisions on his own. Now, did the work happen as quickly or as smoothly as it might have if Jesus was doing it on his own? Absolutely not. Was it more fun? Was it more joyful? Was it more creative? Was it more lovely? Absolutely it was. And so it really is a matter of doing things the way that Jesus exemplified for us. It feels like you've said a a couple of things there that are really important, a number of things that are really important, but (laughs) two that I'm going to pull on. Um, One is that we're better 
really kind of in all ways, more more creative, more emboldened, um, and and even more thoughtful and, and can have a broader perspective when we have other voices speaking into our decision-making, our planning, our thinking, our, our loving, all, all those um, aspects of our leadership. Um, but also, and I've heard you say this before, we need friends who are different than us. We need friends who are different than we are and who think differently. And, um, and and that feels like a really important piece to pull on. It's one of the things that I, I wanted, I had on my list to talk with you mm-hmm. today because, I mean, we're in such a polarized time in our country and, and it, even in the, the church and, and um, you know, there's this sort of social sorting that happens even in social media and, and our relationships where we kind of end up with uh, a community and friendships that, that look and sound and act a lot like us. Mm-hmm. And yet the challenge is to, and the invitation is to have friends who are different than us that that help us to see our blind spots. And, and so do you have... I think many of us want that. We long for that. And we don't really have any idea how to cultivate a relationship with someone who's truly outside of our typical social group. And so have you seen things? Do you have wisdom on that front, how to do that? I know a number of folks are are timid about trying to um, cultivate a relationship that with someone who is dramatically different from them, worried that it might feel like tokenization um, of you know, I need to have friends who don't look like me and they're afraid of, of how that might be perceived. And the relationships that I have that are the most different from me have come from instances in which we have gone through something. I, in the book, I call them crucible moments, some kind of an event that drew us together so that we have a foundation to be able to draw on that is unique to the two of us. So it might be something like potting together, you know, during COVID or raising kids together or going to seminary together or, you know, going through a hurricane together, God forbid, something like that, that, that draws people together because things like that don't just happen to one kind of people. They, they don't spare anyone. When a hurricane comes, it hits everyone. When COVID comes, it hits everyone. And so they're an invitation for us to look at those who are around us and say, hey, we are in this together. Let's, let's figure this out. And then it's done with absolute authenticity. It is, it is done in a way that you're a child of God. I'm a child of God. We're trying to figure this out. And you build on what you have together that's already in a natural way place. And sometimes it can feel very sticky when we get to those kinds of conversations where inequality raises its ugly head, mm-hmm. especially nowadays when when so many folks' rights are being taken away or when inequality just seems to be at every possible turn. That's when those relationships with people who are really different matter the most. Because oftentimes there's someone who's really hurting there and there's someone that has more privilege. And that's where the mutuality of my definition of holy friendships becomes really important because it's not about equality between two people, but it's about the mutuality of 
covenant to be in conversation to want to get the mutuality of covenant to stay in conversation with one another because it's important, because it matters to the way that we are loving each other and loving God and loving our neighbors in the world, that just because it may be sticky in this moment, we're going to see this through because we matter to one another. And because this matters and being formed, again, this is about our formation, right? Being formed yes. by that friendship. So there's a, a mutual respect and curiosity that begins to form us. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I appreciate the work that you've done on that. And, and one of the other areas that has intrigued me that you have, where you've taken holy friendships is the relationship between friendships and institutions. And we've done some work and our fr friend and, and colleague, Gil Rendell, mm -hmm. uh, makes a distinction between, and I think this is from Hugh Hecklow, but he makes this distinction between institutions that house deeply held values and practices that distinct from the organizations or the structure, organizational structure that come out of those institutions, right? And so the organizational structure may change, but that institution that houses the core values and practices remains. Okay. So as we think about those institutions, values, practices, I'm uh, interested in like the role that friendship plays in institutions. Institutions are made up of humans who need holy friendship. And I think about... Let's just get to the core right there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. I think about the fragility of so many institutions today and how many are on the brink of closing or merging or figuring out, you know, some new manifestation of being. What does it look like to come alongside those institutions in holy friendship? What does it look like to share resources, to share challenges, to share joys? I wonder what it looks like for the leaders of institutions to not only lean into their holy friendships, but to also think about what it could look like for there to be friendships among institutions. I think that because of the fragility that is out there, that is one of the ways that we are going to see new life coming. There's going to be pruning that happens with that, which there's pruning that happens in friendships. Um, that's part of the challenge of it. And so I do think that a lot of the language can be um, cross-pollinated with humans and with institutions. I think that that's one of the ways that we've got to work creatively and innovatively to make the best use of resources into the future. I love this. I mean, when we think about institutions, this institutions really do house our formation, if you will, mm -hmm. right? They are intended to be formative, not performative. And, and so if friendship is a central way that we are formed, our relationship with each other, then it makes sense that, that that friendship is an integral part of the strength of institutions that mm -hmm. are forming us, right? Okay, mm -hmm. I love this. I love these connections that, that you're making. This episode with you is the first episode this season where we're focusing on 
holy friendships, sanctifying friendships. And so your work is actually laying the groundwork for all conversations this season. So thank you. Wow. We didn't actually ask permission. (laughs) We just said, this needs to be our launching point for all our conversations. And so the next three episodes are all pairs of holy friends that we have come to know, which uh, is going to be really fun to have, have these conversations. And so I'm really curious what you think we'll see. I think you're going to hear a lot of laughter. (laughs) I think. Um, I think that you're going to um, hear some amazing, beautiful stories of the way that God has been at work in their personal lives, their professional lives, their families. I think that you're going to hear some stories of challenge where they have pushed each other out of their comfort zones. And I hope that you hear some longing from them that this is something that they wished Mm -hmm there was more of in the world. Because once you have it, you wish it for everyone. I mean, imagine imagine a congregation full of holy friendships. Mm-hmm. Or imagine a, a nonprofit full of holy friends that were united in doing God's work in the world together. It would be unstoppable. So that's, I'm it's excited for you It's literally giving me chills. Right, as you paint this picture, right? Yeah, it's an incredible thought. I mean, I I I truly believe that that's what gospel work is, and so I I hope that's what you get to hear. I'm excited for you. Me too. Me too. Okay, we're asking all our guests this final question. So complete the sentence. You know, you're in a holy friendship when you can be uber confident and unashamedly yourself. And both of those are important to me because you need to be able to say, you know what, I had a rock star day and I totally slayed and I am freaking amazing. And the person says, you're dad gum right, you are. Now tell me the details. (laughs) Yeah. And you need to be able to come and just say, oh, today was one of those days where it just did not work. And they'll say, ooh, that sounds rough. Why don't we why don't we talk about that? You need to be able to do both of those and all of it in between. May it be so. May it Victoria be so. Victoria White, thank you for the gift of who you are, your ministry, your voice, and for your time today. Thanks so much. Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Impact Partners with excellent editing support from Truthwork Media. Follow us on social media at Wesleyan Impact Partners. Visit our website at ignitingimagination.org and share our episodes with friends and colleagues. Our hope is that these conversations can spark imagination in your context. I'm Blair Thompson. On behalf of all of us at Wesleyan Impact Partners, thanks for listening.